Well, my period away was good, and um, the Lord has spoken to me some wonderful things. I don't know that they're so earth-shattering, but they are foundational and confirming. And for the next three weeks, I'd like to speak to you about the cross as we head toward Easter, what it means to apply the cross, what it means to accept the cross, and what does the cross mean to you. So turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read a large passage of scripture here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. The title of this message is Crosswise and Crossword. Paul talks about the word of the cross being a stumbling block, being a difficult thing for those who are unbelievers to hear. It makes no sense to them, yet it is the power of God for salvation for us, the word of the cross, and how the cross was wise. It was the wisest way God could implement salvation for us. So crossword and crosswise. Starting in verse 18 of chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians, going all the way through verse 31. Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he can nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 31. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Lord, help us as we study. The cross is a, it's an unpalatable concept. It's an instrument of execution. Ain't nothing pretty about it. It's ugly, nasty. One of the most diabolical ways ever invented for a person to die. Some might equal it, but none surpass it. Horrible, humiliating, painful, agonizing. People who were crucified sometimes might spend an entire week on the cross. Depending upon the constitution of the person who was being executed, a week, some a day. But they would spend it that way in humiliation as people walked by on the road. It was horrible. And the way Jesus was crucified was doubly bad. He was beaten, flogged, beard pulled out, 
crown of thorns placed on his head. We're not talking about rosebush thorns, little eighth of an inch spikes. We're talking about acacia tree thorns, two inches long, pressed into his skull. And there are no more capillaries per square inch than there are in the, bra- in the skull, the scalp. So when those pressed in, more blood would flow from there than any place else in the body. He was beaten all night. They pulled out chunks of beard from his face. His eyes were swollen. His face was marred. Blood streamed down. The Bible says you couldn't even tell it was him any longer. His mother could barely recognize him. It was horrible. Doubly bad was the crucifixion of Christ. And not just that which man did to him, but then God placed all the sin of the world on his shoulders. I don't even know what that means. And I study my Bible a lot. The ugliness, the pain, the rejection, the horrific consequences that we all should have had Deserve to get, he placed on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, speaking of Christ, became sin on our behalf. He didn't just suffer for sin. He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I don't, I don't get that. I don't get it conceptually, though I, I get it. I don't understand it all. And I, I don't get it. Just in terms of motivation, God, was, was I worth that? Really? I was, I was that valuable that you would give your only son and do that to him? Who am I? Surely I've not even approximated the return on your investment. I don't know if I had a thousand lives whether I could repay what God did for me. Was I, I'm not, right now, I'm not even that great a company. I mean, I still struggle like you do with thoughts going the wrong way and saying the right thing and doing the wrong thing. I struggle with all that just like you. And I try to live holy. I'm trying to do the right thing every day. And I'm sitting there thinking, you sacrificed the perfect for this? What kind of love is that? And, and like it was his only boy. It was his only boy. I got five. I don't know if I love any of y'all jokers enough to give one. Really? I mean, I give my life for your benefit. I'd do that. I'd sacrifice for you. But I don't know if I'd give any of my children. And if I did give one, I'd have four more. He gave his only. I get it theologically. I know how it works. But I don't know why. I just don't seem worth it. I just don't seem worth it. And I don't have a problem with self-worth. I don't degrade myself. I don't think I'm nothing. I don't have an issue of of thinking I'm less than. I, I don't grovel. I, 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 I'm, pr- I'm very balanced. I, I, as messed up as I am, I kind of like me. <laughs> really, I kind of like me. I kind of like me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just don't get why he did that for me. 
and why he did that for you. And when I think of the cross, you know, it's hard for us as 21st century Christians to get our mind around an instrument of execution that we should have as a companion every day. Our crosses today are real pretty, aren't they? I mean, they're made out of gold and silver. And we put them in our ears as earrings. And we wear them around our neck as necklaces. And we put them in rings and put them on our hand. And they're real pretty. And I'm not against that. Please do it. In fact, do it with meaning. So if you're going to put a cross in your ear, say, Lord, let me hear today according to the cross. You're going to wear around your neck, Lord, let my heart be inclined to be motivated according to the cross. You're going to put it on your hand, let the work of my hands come through the instrument of the cross today. Wear it with meaning. Because I have a feeling that the early saints, the, the first church, would look at our, our versions of crosses and say, some don't seem right. I mean, they're pretty and all, I get that, but some just didn't write. If we were to transpose our instruments of execution upon what they did and, and, and then try to figure out how it's supposed to look now, say if we had lethal injection or electric chair or a firing squad, and, and, and we understand what that means, how would we view somebody who had a necklace with a syringe on it. What, what, what would we we'd look at him and say, are you okay? Well, what's wrong with you? Or earrings with an electric chair. Come here, baby, come here. Something wrong with you. Let me get you a pair. Let's go to, let's go to, let's go to Lord and Taylor and get you a pair of good earrings. Or a necklace with six guys with guns dangling from the bottom. I mean, all of us would say, what meaneth this? That's what the early church would say about all of our crucifixes, saying, are you doing this right? What, what, what meaneth this? It doesn't seem to have the same implication that it did when we did what we did. The cross is ugly. Nothing pretty about it. Yet Jesus made it the instrument which defines our following him. Nothing in your life defines discipleship more than the cross. Yet we have taken the cross and pretty much relegated it to making sure that it signifies our stamp for heaven. So we give our hearts to Jesus and we ask for forgiveness for our former sins and then we get on with life thinking that I'm going to glory good enough but Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 14 verse 27 if anyone wants to follow me he must pick up his cross daily you want to follow me he who does not pick up his cross is not worthy of following me he said he wasn't talking about a one-time experience. He was talking about discipleship. There are a lot of crossless followers in Christianity. You visited one time and then left it right there. 
You don't bring the cross into your relationships. No, no, no. But you expect everybody else to. You want them to die. You want them to sacrifice for you, but you ain't willing to get up on that thing and have the nails put in your hands. No, no, no. You don't bring the cross into your marriage. You want your spouse to give up. You want your spouse to to, to die for your benefit, but are you willing to? And gentlemen, that is our job. Love your wives just like Christ gave himself up for the church. Love your wives like that. Like Jesus loved the church. That's our job. Your job is just not, not to put food on the table. Your job is not just protection. Your job is to die every day. I've never had the privilege of waking up and, and seeing what time it is. Because I wear glasses and contacts. Some of y'all take it for granted. You don't have that malady. You, you are vision impaired. I am. So I've never known what time it is. The first thing I do when I get in, and I don't, I don't use an alarm clock that's set at a certain time because I've been getting up at 530 all my Christian life and I just pop up. I wish it weren't so. I would love to sleep in like the rest of y'all who come at 1245. <laughs> I would love that. Love that. But I get up. First thing I do is I get my glasses and I put them on and see what time it is. Second thing I do is I pick up my cross. I go into my prayer closet and I spend time with my God. I say, God, today I want to be a really good follower. So I'm not expecting anybody else to do for me what I need to do for myself. I don't want them to sacrifice for me. Help me to be a disciple of yours by giving my life for their benefit. Help me to lay down my life for my kids. Help me to lay down my life for my wife. Help me to lay down my life for my community, for my church. I pick up my cross today, Jesus. I don't want to be a professional. I want to be a really good Christian. And out of my good Christianity, my good behavior, somehow or another my ministry is going to make a difference. Jesus said, he who does not pick up his cross... And follow me cannot be my disciple. I want to be a disciple. The cross is synonymous with that. So if you don't pick up your cross every day, if you don't pick up your cross and come to church, most of us are following Jesus crossless in that we want him to do stuff for us. We're not trying to figure out how to sacrifice. We're trying to figure out what can you do for me, Jesus? Can you fix my marriage? Can you fix my money? Can you fix my non-employment? Unemployment? Can you fix my supervisor? (laughs) Fix him, fix him. And all the while, the solution is right in front of you. Die. Sacrifice yourself for the benefit of others. Lest there be some tender ears here who are not as balanced as they should be. I'm not talking about going and taking your life literally. I'm talking about spiritually, saying no to yourself and yes to God and benefiting your life, benefiting other people with your life and the sacrifice of what you want and when you want to do it and how you want to do it. This is the cross. And we're required as believers to carry it every day. Paul says it's silliness. It's a strange concept to the unbelieving. 
They don't see why it's necessary. Number one, they don't want to see. Because the cross necessarily implies accountability. Somebody had to die because something went wrong. People say they want the Garden of Eden. They want that place where provision is at their fingertips and that in abundance. They want a perfectly controlled climate where weathermen can't get the forecast wrong. That was supposed to be funny for this week. (laughs) By the way, they do their best. They can't control the wind. They want everything to be as it should be without conflict in an environment that is just perfect. That's what they want. But they, 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 what they really want, they don't want the Garden of Eden. What they really want is the Garden of Eden. Because the Garden of Eden comes with accountability. The Garden of Eden had a tree that they couldn't eat from. And if they ate from it, there were going to be consequences. They had to obey. And they were accountable to God for their obedience or disobedience. If they obeyed, they were rewarded with his fellowship and his joy and his pleasure. If they disobeyed, they died. People want the garden of hedon. Hedonism is that which allows people to, to, to have their way with any pleasure at any time as they want. As long as they want and as much as they want without any accountability. There are no judgments. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Garden of hedon. But there is no garden of hedon because there's always accountability. And the cross represents accountability. Somebody had to die because something went wrong. Mankind blew it and somebody had to pay the penalty. God didn't want individuals to pay. He didn't want us to pay. And so he decided, I'm going to let my son. Sin brings about death and that is unalterable it cannot be changed by man's convention it can't be shifted because we do something good to try to outweigh our bad the scales never balance out that way it 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 the the sin can't just be wiped away because most of the balance of our life has been good quote unquote You, you get a guy who uh, in 2012 had two bad days. He, he stole a car on June 12th, and on October 13th, he knocked over a 7-Eleven. But for 363, he didn't do any of that. 363 days, he did not break the law. Hmm? Sound like anybody? Does it sound like anybody? Now, I'm not talking about criminal behavior on behalf, your behalf now in society. If you do that, don't confess it now. I can't deal with you. <laughs> I'm talking about spiritually. <laughs> Does it sound like anybody? Yes. You're doing your best every day to try to be good, but every once in a while you blow it. And the balance of how you look at life is, hey, I'm pretty good. I messed up a couple of days, but 99.9% of the time I was all right. I'm not Hitler. I'm not Son of Sam. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. God, you got to let me off. We'd look at that judge and say, put that man behind bars, please. 
I don't care if he had 363 good days. He had two really bad ones. And he's got to pay for his crimes. That's the way sin is eternally. You cannot wipe out the bad by the good. Justice demands that sin be punished. And God cannot compromise his justice. And he is a just God. He cannot compromise his justice because he cares about you. So, somebody's got to pay. And God looked at you and said, I love him too much. I'll send my son, he'll pay. Now, why was Jesus an eligible candidate to pay? Because he had done nothing wrong. If I had offered to pay for your sin, the first thing God would have to ask me is, well, Brett, who's going to pay for yours? Because you got to pay for your own if you can't find anybody. You can't pay for hers because you still got to pay for your own. There was nobody qualified because we had all sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the standard. We never reached the bar. So the only way to fix this problem was to send his son who lived a perfect life. The second Adam didn't blow it. Tempted in every way just like us yet without sin. Not one day did he make his mistake. Out of the 33 and a half years he lived on the planet, all 365 of every year, perfect. Perfect. So that when he died, he could be the substitutionary penalty for us. And this is why it says all the sin of the world was placed on him. He became sin in 2 Corinthians 5. He became it. He didn't just just pay for sin. He became it. And when he died, it, the power of it, sin, died. And now we can be free because somebody paid our penalty. Somebody took our whooping. And no longer do you have to suffer for the, for the, 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 the you, you don't have to suffer the penalty for your own crimes, the consequences of your own misdeeds. God actually made a way for you to get out, a get out of jail free card. What a deal. This is what the cross is. It's beautiful. It's love that is almost undefinable. We can say it in word, but it still blows our minds conceptually because we have to say regularly, was I worth that? Really? Love like that, I just don't get. It's amazing. Amazing. The Gentiles don't get it because they don't want to be accountable. The world doesn't get it. Unbelievers don't get it because they don't want to be accountable. The Jews who don't accept, they think it's foolishness. Foolishness. They think it's an offense to to accept the cross as your means by which you can get to God. That's horrible. We can't do that. But it is for us the power of God unto salvation. The strength of Almighty God for salvation. Because it's the only way our sin can be fixed. That it can be paid for and we can still live. Every day, we need to rejoice in this instrument called the cross. We need to embrace it every day so that not only can we understand something about what God did for us, but now be the redemptive benefit to others that we need to be through it. Paul said in, first, in Colossians 1, 24, I am making up for that which was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, Paul's a good theologian. He understands that there was nothing that Jesus did that, that needed extra stuff done. 
He accomplished all the redemption necessary through his actions. But what is he saying when he says, I'm making up for that which is lacking? He's saying, Jesus left some stuff for us. He appointed us to now be redemptive benefactors for the benefit of mankind. That we are called now to go out and sacrifice our life just like he sacrificed his. We're called to suffer for humanity just like he did. And evidence the fact that somebody out there loves them. That there are people who act like God on the regular and want to see others benefited even if it means giving up their own life to make it happen. That way we evidence who he is and people can see things they've never seen before. Understand a God who cares about them because they understand how you live and how you die. We're called to embrace this daily. To pick up our cross and to follow him. It's the power of God for salvation. And it's also that that opens up the, the eyes so that we can behold things that we haven't beheld prior. He says, behold your calling. Stare at it. He says, it's silliness to the unbeliever. It's strength and power for us who believe for salvation. And thus, behold, stare at your calling. You, you need to... You need to wrestle with your calling. There needs to be this divine discomfort that comes to you regarding what he's called you to do. Tomorrow morning, you just not ought to wake up and decide to go into work and get in the same old routine. You need to wrestle with your calling. I'm not talking about somehow that all of you are called to do what I do up here. I'm talking about the calling that God has called you to. The one over in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, he says, I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your understanding might be opened, that you, would, that you would know the hope of his calling you or why he placed you on the planet, what hope he has. You need to wrestle with that daily. It's valuable because it defines how you're going to benefit humanity, the purpose of you being on the planet. And, and sad is it the people that wind up on, your, on their deathbed not knowing why they were here. Many of them go right on into glory. And when they get there, you know, that passage over in Revelation that says where Jesus is going to wipe every tear from their eye. Oh, I imagine there'll be a bunch of reasons people are crying. One, they sit there and they look at the king of glory and all of his majesty. And just like when you have a, an anointed moment in the worship session here where the, the anointing falls and grace falls and all of a sudden the revelation of who he is and who you're not and how he's making you into what you ought to be and the, the benefit he's brought to your life just fills you and your emotions can't take anymore and tears come to your eyes. I imagine he'll be wiping them because of that because it'll be so wonderful to see him without the impediment of this flesh. Without the impediment of the world that clouds our vision. Without the impediment of a mind that's all messed up. Oh, to see him as he is with his... <laughs> that's too good. That's too good. That's too good. He'll wipe those tears, but other tears he'll wipe. Well, because people will be in heaven with the proverbial, I could have had a V8. I could have I could, I had a... What was I doing? What, what the heck was I doing for 50 years? 50 years, I just made money, and I can't spend it here. I, was, I, I, I spent all that time in the gym, and my body was so cut, V-shaped going on. It was amazing. But nobody cares here. <laughs> 
What was, what was I doing? What was I doing? What was I doing? What was I doing? I spent so much money on makeup and lipo and, 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 and all that. Hey, I ain't mad about you. Hey, Matt, if, if the bar needs paint and paint it, you know what I'm saying? I ain't mad at you. If it, it needs a little repair, refurbish the thing. Whatever you need to do to be happy, be happy. But if your security is coming from it, you got problems. What was I, what was I doing? What was I, I, God, tears will flow because you wasted your life. You wasted You did not pick up your cross every day. You didn't. So Paul says this. Behold. Stare. Get your calling and look at it and be uncomfortable until you figure out what it is. Because there were not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble. God chose the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Because his strength His weakness is stronger than man's strength, and his foolishness is more clever than their cleverness. He chose something that seems so debased, but it brings great glory to all. And why did he do it like this? To give everybody an opportunity. See, if he did it on the basis of of strength and might, then only the strong and the mighty could get access. If he did it on the basis of intellectual prowess and making the, the, the formula for salvation so complicated that only Einstein would get it, there'd be two people in heaven. Mm. Who, Einstein and whoever was as smart as him. If he did it on the basis of nobility, then only the royal would get in. And by the way, we're all mutts. Our pedigree ain't right. We all got stuff mixed up on the inside of us. There's nothing that's pure about our blood, nothing blue, and not even anything really blue about those who call themselves blue blood. They came from Adam just like me. Now, I'll respect him if I happen to have lived in a monarchy. I respect my king. If he was my king, I'd respect him, but because of the position, not because he got something flowing in him different than me. He's the son of Adam just like me. He probably has more issues than me. Not many wise, not many mighty. Not many noble. And yet God chose you, Corinthians. And he chose this way to choose you. So that all of you could have access. It doesn't require great intellect. You who had a 2.2 in college, say amen. Amen. (laughs) Too many of y'all. Too many of y'all said amen. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Not many mighty, those of you who don't work out in the gym. And none of us got any pedigree that's impressive. God said, I'm going to make it to where everybody can understand that nobody can boast. Nobody can say, I'm here because... I did this, I did that, I was this, I came from this lineage. Surely God had to accept me. Nobody can boast. Everybody, though, can boast in the cross of Christ. The only reason I'm here is because he died for me. He died for me. And all I want to do now that I'm on the planet and understand that he died for me is give my life for others. No greater love hath any man than this, than he lay down his life 
for his friends. This is what the cross is. And may we as good Christians pick it up every day. Every day. Make it one of our best friends. And when we pick it up and bring it, we, we, we make sure we apply it in every area. We, we pick up our cross, we bring it to church, we make sure it's in our wallet. The cross is in your, it's in your bank account, isn't it? You got a cross in your bank account, meaning you're willing to sacrifice your resources for his benefit, are you not? You've missed about three moments to say amen. <laughs> I counted as I was speaking. These blank stares. You ought to look at yourself sometime. You just. I'm making good points and you just. You bring your cross to your marriage. You don't leave it. You bring your cross to your parenting. You don't leave it. You bring your cross to your workplace. You don't leave it at home. After you pick up your glasses, you pick up your cross, and you follow him. That's the mark of a disciple, and that's why you're left on the planet, to be a disciplined follower that makes a difference on the, on the earth.